Today's TribCast is presented by the Texas Association of Realtors. Are your property taxes too high? It's time to take action. Learn more at hiddenpropertytax.com. And TASBO. In the documentary Heroes in Harvey, discover how Texas public schools met the challenge of Hurricane Harvey at tasbo.org slash hurricane dash Harvey. Texas talking oh, What was that that you said? Texas talking Hey everyone, this is Dan Crenshaw, former Navy SEAL, proud Texan, and candidate for U.S. House in the 2nd District. During my campaign, I ran 100 miles across the district over five days to raise awareness for Harvey victims. It was painful, and this podcast might be too, but I didn't quit, and you better not quit either. Enjoy this week's TribCast. Now here's your host, Emily Ramshaw. Thank you. This is Emily Ramshaw here on Wednesday, May 16th with your Texas Tribune TribCast. I'm joined this week by CEO Evan Smith, Executive Editor Ross Ramsey, Political Reporter Patrick Svitek, and Controller Glenn Hager. We and he will be taking your questions via Facebook and Twitter, and we are going to just jump right into it. You've been the bearer of both good news and bad yes, news in yes. recent months, talking about how strong and growing the Texas economy right. is, and also right. talking about our unfunded liabilities and what we're heading into in the next legislative session. Um, Tell me, you know, should we be feeling optimistic or uh, pessimistic right now? I think the glass is always half full. It's both good and it's bad. And, and it depends on the side that you look at. If you look at Texas right now, at least from an economic perspective, 4% unemployment, which is roughly the lowest unemployment we've had in, in four decades, which is pretty remarkable. And then sales tax collection, which is why do we talk about it? Because that's 58% of all the tax collections in the state treasury. So that's, that's big and important for the state from a revenue standpoint. Last month, we had 13.4% higher revenues in sales tax than the, than the year ago. We have roughly 10% higher the last three months than the same three months a year ago. All revenues are coming in higher. As I told House Approves and Senate Finance, probably this summer we'll do a new revenue estimate, which will show a better forecast than we had last October. Please However, you're, you're going to do a better forecast. For, uh, we're always doing a better forecast. <laughs> Every day we do a better so we'll forecast. Ha- so we'll have uh, more, more money than we thought and therefore as of, less, as of, less of a can kick down the road than we thought as a result. As of today. Yeah. But then again, God knows what the economy is going to do next week, next month. Right. So, you know, as it looks today, revenues are stronger than what we said last October when we did the certification revenue estimate. And so, you know, in the summertime, we do cash flow analysis. So mm-hmm. we, we look at what we need from a cash flow perspective once the new fiscal year starts. And yeah. that talks about our borrowing, how much money we'll go borrow, and how much we have in the accounts to make sure we do all the cash flow. And I figure that's an appropriate time that roughly you're about six months out of session. We've seen continuing stronger numbers, so let's go ahead and refresh that data. But the point being, it's optimistic because revenues are coming in higher. However, on the flip side, if you look at, yes, Medicaid, we have some unpaid bills there, which is normally the case every budget. I mean, this isn't any abnormal budget cycle. There was a little bit of money that was borrowed last session in the special session to Mm -hmm. pay hire a little more money into public education and TRS care. And so therefore that 563 million has to be caught up. And then you've got Hurricane. Harvey, So right. you've got a supplemental appropriation coming up. And then if you look at historical trends and expenses, every morning when you wake up, there's roughly about another 570 people that live in Texas based on natural growth and another 520 that move here. So every day, 1,100 people, which means there's roads, there's schools, another 80,000 kids yeah. to the public school system. Mm-hmm. So my point being is, Revenue side is optimistic, but on the spending side, with a state that is growing leaps and bounds in people and jobs, that puts a lot of pressure on the system. 
And so therefore, that's where the pessimism comes in. And one of the points that, that, that words that you mentioned that I've pointed out several times is we are not at a crisis point in Texas like many other states when it comes to pensions. However, we are short what we need to be actuarially sound, and I think it is imperative upon us as a state, especially during a growing time, to be able to shore those up and other long-term liabilities because once we stop growing, it's going to continue to get worse. And I don't want us to be in that situation of yeah. other states. Therefore, your question to me a few weeks ago and said, hey, would you come on, was how I kind of waved the flag much louder than I have in the past, right. that will we have a downgrade today? No. Will we have one next year? No. But if you continue down this path of some of those long-term liabilities, and the legislature's done some good work in the last few sessions, but I just want to highlight brighter with that Did that you make marker. the same concern visible to or, or audible to all of us last year or the year prior? You've been controlling for a few years. I have said it in a speeches. I've said it right. not every single but speech. But you haven't I've publicly it, raised the flag correct. of the credit rating. It is people. different to where you say it in a public venue in testimony. So therefore, in so discussing worse. with leadership, well, I think that now that I'm three years in this job, yeah. that is three years further down the road, yeah. and I look out and think four to six years, possibly. You know, I don't, I don't have a crystal ball, but I do think that Texas could see a downgrade at some point in the near future. And I just think as my job as CFO, as the person who has a fiduciary duty, it is my responsibility right. to make sure the people in that building understand what are some of the issues that we have, not just for a two-year budget, but looking at four, six, and eight yeah, years. Yeah, but in an, election year, in an election year, if the state CFO raises this possibility where he hasn't raised it in the previous year, one way to look at it is you hand the Democrats who want to get back into power an opportunity. Well, Glenn Hager says the economy sucks. Who's been in charge of the economy? But Glenn Hager hasn't but said the could, economy you could, sucks. You could, you could also say that, uh, well, in the next election cycle, well, God dang, Glenn Hager was in charge of the money, and he did never warn us anything. Right. Actually, it's being responsible. Flip side. Though. It's actually responsible. And so, yeah, you know, in politics, you're going to get attacked no matter what. That's right. called politics. So that's, that's what I'm trying to teach my 13-year-old about life. I mean, you're constantly going to get attacked. It's just yeah. how you deal with it and how you message it back. And the reality is, if you're out talking about these issues, you're being responsible. You're being the adult in the room, and leadership is trying to make sure that we, we deal with these real issues and not kick them down the road to another legislative group well, two, four, six years down the road. So what are the solutions? I know Ross has some questions around that. <laughs> Oh, I thought you were going to say Ross was going to give us solutions. Oh, that's why. That's, Ross that's, has all kinds that was of the, That was the hook to get to solve our problem. Yeah, Ross was, was mm -hmm. Glenn, if you show up, Ross is going to tell us all the answers today. Okay. Okay. Otherwise, okay. I was just going to listen. But Evan said, no, if you show up, <laughs> no, no, no. tell us. One thing I'm curious about Leave in, us the, in the revenue stuff is whether you see any Harvey in the sales tax numbers now. Or have you right. seen it mm -hmm. up to now? And if you anticipate anything? A Harvey bump? Right, right. Well, we had, a, we had a conversation. I think it was when you and Evan talked on stage. There was a conversation about you see a big rise in car sales. We saw people it, are replacing a, large, cars. a very large spike in Pre automobile sales tax receipts. So which presumably you're have that's when stolen you have from five, the next three years, right? That is correct. And that's what I've told everybody in the building. If you look at a Hurricane Harvey type incident, and we, we published a official right. note article here a couple, a couple months ago, that for the first year, that's about a $3.8 billion hit to GDP. But by year three, it's really a net positive to the state of about a hit of $100 million. And the reason being is because of all the rebuild. People are buying the new vehicles yet, as right. you said, and I've said this over and over in the building and speeches and, and to leadership and legislators, that yes, you see a spike, you know, let's say last September, October, November was roughly about 13% higher in automobile sales tax collections than the prior year, however, 
that's going to fade because a certain number of people are going to buy new cars in the next two years and they're not going to buy them anymore because they've right. replaced them. So, so it's a mismatched timing of receipts coming in the treasury, uh, essentially. And so, yeah, you'll see a little bit of a, of a bump because of sales, general po sales positive tax. Bump. Positive bump. But at this, on the back end, you have an expense and a cost, right. which the treasury is going to get hit when they have to deal with the school finance side of it when they deal with some of the other issues, the cost share of the state. So really it's a net zero at the end of the day. It's not really a bump to the state. You really don't want to rely on the tragedy of a hurricane. Right. Second most costly natural disaster in the U.S. to be, oh yeah, that's Boost your economy. economy. But you say, right. it's, a, no, that's it's, a, you say it's a wash? I think at the end of the day it's a wash. So you don't correct. think, because I for think the state the, treasury. The, now for individuals, yeah. it's a net loss for a lot of individuals, for local communities right. such as Rockport, Go move but, over to Portland. But those, those, those things are not those things are not tied together. I mean, it, it, the, my assumption is that the state's going to have to That's step. Right. The state's going to have to step in during the next two years to help some of those local communities. That's right. And the state, with the big hole that have been has been created uh, there. And the state has to some degree already with writing checks to some of the communities. Right, right. And the state will continue to do that from the public education side. Uh, somebody in a speech had asked me the question the other day, and I said, real simplistically, let's take a Ranzas County ISD which is the only school district in that small county. And at, at first it was closed indefinitely mm -hmm. because right. it's one campus. Right. So all of those kids had to go somewhere else if they wanted to attend public schools. And if you, the state says, oh, well, wait, we're not going to fund you because the kids went somewhere else. But the problem is their, their property tax base got devastated. And if you don't double fund, in essence, they can't pay their teachers. Right. Well, that's not good for the community. So the state really needs to step in to absorb a double cost in some places to be able to make these communities keep, keep mm -hmm. moving down to ultimately getting rebuilt and, and back in order the way they were before the storm hit. I want to hit a couple of questions that are coming in for us on social media that involve okay. potential solutions for you to propose potentially to the legislature. And named Patrick or Abbott or anything? <laughs> Andrew Lopez asks, should Texas legalize and tax sports betting for increased tax revenue now that the Supreme Court has said we can? That's an interesting question. Uh, if, you, if you look at, let's say, Vegas, which is the only place you could have sports betting up until a few days ago. Now the Supreme Court has, has had its ruling. The casinos there roughly had about $250 million in net revenues off of betting of sports. So if the state, and I don't know the exact number, let's just say hypothetically they, they taxed it at 7%. Well, 7% of $250 million is not going to solve a whole lot of state revenue problems. An $8 billion and, hole. And, and, I'm surprised and, and, it's that little. I would have assumed much I know, more. I would have gambling, assumed much more. Gambling, 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 well, in fact, they go, well, I don't understand. I'm, I'm having net revenue gains, and you show there's a net impact to the scratch-off tickets today. Well, yes, when Glenn Hager walks in and you know gets five tickets, not that I do, but if I did, I'm, I'm not going to buy a six ticket. I mean, really, you're swapping one type of, of, of current right. gambling off for mm -hmm. another one. And so you'll, it, you'll send a, 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 a balancing off of if you expanded it here, it's not just a pure gain because there's people that are out gambling in other venues today. You, and you, you can gamble off. But all this over. really opens up other kinds of gambling, like live sports gambling. You know, where you're betting on the next pitch, or you're if, betting on the next yeah, strike, or the next yeah, kick, if, or whatever. If the state. But I, I, my, the <coughs> bottom line is, is you know, I don't really care what people do with their money. If they want to spend it on gambling, they want to spend it on something else. That's their money. But at the end of the day, it's not going to be a significant revenue booster for the state of Texas. Okay. All right. One other idea that you've pitched to lawmakers is investing a larger portion of the rainy day fund to bring right. in. Uh, 
and you know it seemed like the results or their reaction to that was lukewarm. Do you right. think that how you know we're talking about how much money you could right. actually make off of right. sports betting? How much money do you really make off of investing the rainy day fund? If the, the last proposal that I showed, I'm just looking at the current 11 billion that we have in it, and let's pretend you keep seven and a half billion roughly for for ordinary cash if you had another major disaster, which really you don't need that money, and you try to cover inflation, which for up until a few sessions ago, I can't even cover inflation on a part of it. So in other words, you have 2.5% inflation roughly every single year, 250 basis points, and in the treasury pool, which is where it's setting, if I'm making right now 170 basis points, I'm still losing 70 due to inflation. Mm -hmm. And right. so the point is trying to make sure the purchasing power, that money's there, that's issue one. And then issue two is invest part of it in an endowment type structure, which the three billion that I mentioned to them, if you cover inflation on the seven, five, and the three billion, which is essentially looking at the whole 11 that we have today, yes, there'll be more money put in in November, there'll be some money taken out next session, but let's just look at the what we have today. That three billion, roughly it'd bring in about a, a, a little over 100 million for the next two-year budget cycle, which isn't a significant amount of money, but that's 111 million you didn't have before. You look at 12 years, that's about a billion dollars extra than you would have before. Look out 20 years cumulatively, it's about $25 billion. Well, $25 billion isn't going to solve everything, but when you combine that with making sure you have the inflationary pressures, you add the $22 billion that you would earn in 20 years up here that they could spend on something, $3 billion here, that's $25 billion total more Why is that than if we sell? do it. Uh, you know, I think part of it is one, as I mentioned in, in the testimonies, most people don't even know we have a thing called the Safekeeping Trust Company. They go, well, what is that? Well, that's a division of the controller's office. We have 14 endowments. We we do this already. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not Glenn Hager sitting here and being like, oh, let's look on the internet and see what stocks I want to invest today. Mm -hmm. No, we hire people to do this. I just make sure they do it right and we have advisory boards. And so part of it's misunderstanding. Right. Right. That, that, that It's a learning curve. And, and like people ask me, well, isn't it better just to do what we're doing today? Isn't that safer? Well, I guess if you want to lose inflationary pressure on your money, I mean, how many universities have endowments? Right. How many folks that create real wealth yeah. have an investment type structure? I just haven't heard an answer as to mm -hmm. why, I mean, not from you, but from anybody else as to why this is a bad idea. There's not really a good answer. Yeah. You know, oh, well, what if you lose it in a down market? And, and use the example, when we got the tobacco settlement dollars, my office, many years ago after the settlement, you know, that was, uh, let's say, a couple billion dollars. And yeah, it was almost at the worst timing because it was down in, down in a recession immediately hit. Yeah. But if you look at the growth over time, again, it's not a short term, one day, one year. You're looking over the long term and the return, you cover inflation and you make a higher return mm -hmm. than you can use on something else. And, and you look at the history of it, you know, we're a little more defensive than aggressive, which is what you should be. You're trying to preserve the principle, but you're making more than you have today. It's newfound money. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole point. We have some real issues we need to deal with as a state, even though we're blessed with a great economy. But you've got to solve some of these problems. And if you can find new money that doesn't exist today, it's a good thing. To me, that's a big winner. Yeah. All right, well, we have a couple minutes left. What are your last burning questions for the comp? I want to know if you will commit to debating your Democratic opponent for control of this fall. Yeah, sure. Ideally, yeah, with I'm, Evan I'm, I'm happy to do it. You, you want to moderate it? Well, let's see. What's uh, the first Wednesday in November, maybe? We'll set you want to do it after that? I just know my, I think my schedule is open that day. But, but, you, but seriously, you understand that this is a, a, a persistent topic of conversation at election yeah, time yeah, now, yeah. that a lot of people who know they've got a race that they're almost certainly going to win think a Rose Garden strategy is a better way to go and they don't want to come out to play. 
Well, You're saying you'll come you, out, you will come out to play. If you if you look at the last election cycle, I think uh, most people would say probably one of the healthiest debates and discussions that occurred was in my race between yep. me and my opponent that wrote whatever book you Comptroller. said earlier. Yes, yes, yeah. Comptroller. Yeah. So, I, mean, I think it's right. a healthy, but you know what I what I what obviously any incumbent doesn't want to do is every day we're going to debate and you just sit here and try to beat up every single Got thing it. that you want to. You want it to be a fair discussion, and that's what it should be. Why do you want this job? As you know, the, the Democrat that's running, what are your qualifications? Well, it's and qualifications. It's got to be, right. be a two-way street where we have a good, healthy discussion, and I okay. think that's fair. And, and we had that in my race four years ago, and that's, that's what the voters deserve. You came in the last session and said the state's got more money coming in than it used to, but you've also committed all this money to highways and everything, mm -hmm. so the legislature kind of came in underwater. Right. They're going to come in underwater again? I mean, the same sort of situation. It's, you said there's I mean, going to be more revenue, there's Harvey, there's other demands. I mean, it's, I would love to be able to answer that yes or no. You know, uh -huh. great to be able to say, looking at the revenue forecast. You can look at some of the historical trends. And right. if you look at the historical trends, then I would say, yes, there's a supplemental appropriation that is going to be greater than the revenue that we are going to have when we start session. So they'll have a supplemental appropriation, obviously from a budgeting standpoint. And then I do think they're probably underwater slightly next session. But then again, you're starting to give a revenue forecast for an economy for a two-year budget cycle that starts September, not of this year, but so of next, next year, year right. and runs two more years after that. Right. So that is a long highway to look down. Well, that's right. the messed and up it's, problem it's, with Texas. Is yeah, that we it's, almost, so it's almost impossible. But if you look yeah. at the historical trends of growth rate, Medicaid, public school growth, then and you look at the historical normal BRE revenue numbers, yeah, they're underwater a few billion dollars. Patrick wants to ask you a question about Trump. <laughs> I just made that up. I don't know. <laughs> I was going to ask you. I, was like, I don't. I, did not, yeah. I have not had time to read Twitter today, okay? Yeah. So I've been in board meetings, so I don't know what was tweeted earlier today. Who's going to win the Democratic gubernatorial runoff? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I was pausing for who are you, a minute. Who are you voting for? Who's even Democratic. in the Democrat runoff? Sorry to say. Uh, I have no idea. No idea. All right. Well, The best person wins, right? Isn't that always the answer? It, in theory. <laughs> That's always the theory. That's right. right. All right. Well, thank well, you so much for joining yeah, us. Absolutely. Good to be with you. Yep. And so uh, we'll. C controller. Thank yes, you. controller. He got it right. Uh, I know. He, that's about the only thing he gets right. Yeah. <laughs> All right, before our next topic, I'd like to quickly thank another TribCast sponsor, the Texas Lyceum. Texas is the top exporting state in the U.S., and New York City is the gateway to the world. Join the Texas Lyceum on its adventure to the Big Apple on June 20th through 23rd, a global perspective, the U.S. role on the world stage. Register at texaslyceum.org. All right, just a reminder, Facebook and Twitter viewers, post your questions in the comments, and we'll try to get to them. Uh, so did any of the three of you actually watch the Democratic debate? I did. I sat there in St. James Episcopal Church in East Austin and watched it. Patrick was there. I went to see A Quiet Place because <laughs> I like my horror movies on a big screen. <laughs> uh, all right, so how did they but do I watched it later. You did watch, you watched the whole I, oh, thing I later? I, oh, I, I thought Gromer did a good job. I, I thought did he did, it. too. I thought he did a, you know, let them talk, gave them room to do whatever they wanted to do, and they did it, and I thought, yeah. Yeah, I thought it was a productive discussion uh, in terms of the political outcome from it. I don't know how much it actually changed. I think Andrew White continued to kind of come across as the candidate who had a better grasp on the issues, better ability to communicate that uh, knowledge. Uh, but Lupe Valdez certainly um, proved wrong anybody who thought that this was going to be a big liability for her, that she was going to have some game-changing gaffe or, or stumble. Including and Andrew White, right? Exactly. <laughs> and, right. Uh, and I think she even firmed up some kind of maybe soft support that she had 
uh, when you saw the conversation turn to some of White's vulnerabilities with the Democratic primary electorate on issues like right. uh, abortion and uh, even when he was asked about his uh, membership in a, a church that opposes uh, gay marriage. And so, um, you know, I, I wouldn't declare either of them the winner. Ross but declared one of them the winner. I mean, didn't I thought, you? I thought, I thought White did a better job, and I thought Valdez's answers were vague, and, you know, but that's plagued her campaign. That's been the thing all along. He's, the, the winner if you're of watching, the debate was Greg Abbott. Well, well the, that's, that's right. The right. winner of the debate was Greg Abbott, because what this race did not do was present itself as any more plausible in terms right. of the nature of how competitive this race is going to be in the fall. Nobody who watched it, these are nice people, they're running for governor, that is not nothing. Right. They're sacrificing time, all that. Right, sincere, willing, public servant. Blah, no blah, blah, one right. walks away from that debate thinking that this is going to be a remotely competitive race in November. Right, right. right. I'm interested, I, I am particularly interested in this sort of abortion fight that's playing out between the two of them. Patrick, can you get into that a little sure. bit and explain sort of the, there was a couple like dramatic one-liners during this debate. Sure, so Andrew, Andrew White's position on this issue uh, through, for most of the race, I believe, has been that he is personally, uh, describes himself as personally pro-life, and but as governor he would respect a woman's right to choose and he would veto any legislation uh, that would infringe upon that right. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, this has been a, a position that's kind of plagued him from the beginning of the race. There were some conversations with Democratic donors involved with Planned Parenthood right. at the beginning of the race uh, that they disagree on what he said on those calls or what he, um, you know, what was promised or what he presented as his position. And so, uh, you know, that's caused the Planned Parenthood uh, political apparatus to get behind Lupe Valdez, mm -hmm. who, you know, <laughs> has not been necessarily, you know, outspoken and vocal uh, on this issue, but I think that she is certainly, to those people, much better alternative than Andrew White. And in, in their view, they just want somebody who is going to be much more proactive and much more of a kind of what they would describe as a champion in fighting mm -hmm. for abortion rights. Uh, Lupe Valdez finally kind of put this in, in, a, in what I thought was a, a politically smart uh statement the other night after the debate, and she said, we need someone who's not just going to promise to veto legislation. We need someone who's going to be leading on these issues. Um, the same so. people who are objecting to Andrew White's position voted for Tim Kaine sure. as Hillary Clinton's running mate. The right. Andrew White position and right. the Tim Kaine position on this issue well, and what exactly White, the same. White's good line the other night on this was you know, that he's in the same position as Tim Kaine and Joe Biden, and that Cecile Bob Richards... Ca Bob Casey in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. Right, that Cecile Richards, the former head of Planned Parenthood has basically said that, you know, the, the, her side needs to let those people in. And, yeah. Yeah. But, but you know, to be in. clear, I mean, the Democratic Party today, I mean, I'd be fascinated to see how Tim Kaine would deal with this issue if he had a contested Democratic well, primary. Right. The Democratic yeah. Party today, this is not, you know, this is, uh, you know, the Democratic primary party electorate. Um, this is kind of a non-negotiable issue, I'd say, for a majority of and, and, and by way. the way, it is also the case on the Republican side. I sure. think that yeah, it's, it is very difficult to run in a contested primary as a pro-choice Republican these days in, in, in a similar vein. Right. I thought the it was parties pretty, have moved yeah. to the edges. It was pretty dramatic, though, or, or mel maybe melodramatic when Lupe Valdez said, you know, Andrew, you need to apologize to Texas women. I mean, to me, that was this line. It was like, what? You know, right, for, yeah. for what? 
Right. I do think but this is how debates work, though. Right. We remember moments. Yeah, right. In some Clearly ways, it you know, that was kind of... Lines right. like that, yeah. I always thought, you know, my political consultant yeah. wrote, yeah, wrote right, this exactly, line for totally. I, do, I do think there's it's a, a conversation right. yeah. divorced from the specific issue of abortion, but more broadly around the idea of does a conservative Democrat have a better chance of energizing the faithful these days and this year in particular than someone who in the old Howard Dean construction runs as a member of the Democratic wing of the Democratic Party. You know, p people say, well, I yeah. want to run as a conservative Democrat because I'm going to be able to get people to cross over and support me who believe that in this instance, Greg Abbott is a little bit too conservative. I just don't think that happens in the real world. That is something that a political consultant scripts, the but, idea that somehow you're going to be able to bring people over from the other side. As a matter of the way politics works today, right. you don't find moderate Republicans attracting conservative Democrats who believe that the Democratic candidate in the race is too liberal, and you don't find the reverse. Right. It's, well, the same, yeah. it's the same notion of the ca well, chaos theory in the primaries. Well, We're going to vote for the person we think we can beat. It almost never works out. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I completely agree with that. I mean, there are a bunch of races this time that are going to be, we're going to find out in November, both on the Republican side and on the Democratic side. You know, the race I think of is the Jason Alba race in Dallas, where a Republican incumbent member of the House perceived as being too moderate by some in the Republican mm -hmm. primary gets beat by a very conservative challenger, uh, Lisa Luby Ryan, who's now going against a moderate Democrat. Um, and you think John, Republican John moderates who supported the Alba crossover and vote for John Turner? I, I think in a race like this, the people who are kind of on the fence about this in a race between Vialba and a Democrat are no longer on the fence and say, you know, Okay, flip That's that around. What about right. the Lizzie Fletcher, Laura Moser race in Houston? So if Laura Moser wins that race, the fear among some Democrats, right. the DCCC is an right. example of this, is that the moderate Republicans who are sort of done with Culberson are much more likely to affix themselves if they're going to switch to Fletcher than to Moser. Right. I, I, don't buy the, I don't buy the premise. I don't think Culberson is on a, in a, a particularly endangered incumbent. Well, because you guys are already... You and I actually share the belief yeah. that, that it's possible that the three Republicans who the Democrats are targeting could all conceivably win. Yeah, the all guy three. in trouble is always Will Hurd because that district's drawn that way. Pete I Sessions, think he may be the strongest of the three. Pete, Pete because Sessions, you've already gone there, I'm going to make you, since this is the last Tribcast before the runoffs, I'm going to make you all make some predictions. Game <gasps> shows, speed round? Go. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Okay, go. All right. Okay. I'm, all, I'm for this. Go, okay, Evan, good. Evan loves this. Lupe Valdez this or Andrew I'm White? I'm not a journalist anymore. What? Valdez or White? Me? Yeah. Valdez. 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 We're going to get our asses handed to us next week if we get this wrong. I know. Well, it could All be right. wrong, but, you know. Lizzie Fletcher or Laura Moser? Fletcher. Fletcher. No idea. I'm going to go with Moser. I think that I think if Moser won, I would not be as surprised as, here's, as in Here's some my other big races. fat asterisk for this. Yeah. This is such a low turnout race that you don't know which 12 people in each of these districts is going to vote, and it could be that group of maniacs or that group of maniacs. You know, I, 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 it's so hard to predict if it was a whole district voting. If you got a decent turnout, you could much more reliably call these races. Well, I, you don't I, get I to might, change your I mind. Might have, I might have hedged that one. Actually. It's too late. Yeah, you can't go back. So, uh, I, right. I had the right answer. <laughs> Chip Roy or Matt McCall? Chip Roy. Roy. I give it to Roy, but not by a wide margin. I think that and the Matt McCall thing race. on the Mark Levin radio program where he was asked what he had done that was conservative and he did kind of the old Ralph Cramden Hamada 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 answer. I think that's Isn't that the, I, the old Kirk Watson Hamada Hamada Hamada? <laughs> yeah. 
Kirk Watson's answer was silence. Yeah, You're talking about the hardball <laughs> thing? What had Obama <laughs> done? That's Kirk yeah. Watson did it. No, I, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think that that thing actually is the tipping point because I think it, it gives Roy a, a talking point to prosecute the I'm more conservative I argument. I think Ted Cruz is going to do for Chip Roy exactly what he did for <laughs> Ken Paxton. All right. which, is, which is push him over the line. Yeah, right. Beck Bruner, Michael Cloud. Uh, in, in, by conventional measures, right now, uh, you know, Beck Bruin is getting buried in hundreds of thousands of dollars in Club for Growth spending and is being significantly outspent. And so um, I, I, you have to give maybe the edge to Michael Cloud in that regard. Mm -hmm. uh, but Bruin, because Corpus Christi, from a population standpoint and a turnout standpoint, will trump Victoria. Uh, trump well, Victoria. Small yeah, team. Um, I'm with Patrick on that one. Uh, all right, my last one for you. Does Renee Oliveira stick around? Or is he hurt so bad by that DWI? You know, DWIs, the last two or three DWIs of legislators haven't turned to their races, you know, but... Didn't the Naomi was, Gonzalez race turn a little bit on that? A little bit, but, you know, the... You know, the but Niave didn't lose. Well, Niave's still up. So about, I'm talking about primary. You're about uh, primary or general? Yeah, just, you know, I mean, voters are a little more forgiving of that. Oliveira's problem is that he's in a runoff at all. For his own seat, and, right. you know... Um, I think he's within 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 range of the of the challenger. I'm going to take the challenger in that race. Laurel or Yanni? <laughs> Who the hell is it? What's that? Is that like a rap group? Who is that? No, this is. If you don't know Evan, you don't know. I, you know. I, Bobby's been tweeting about it, so in all likelihood, I don't know. <laughs> Bobby says right. Laurel, so I'll say Yanni. Um, listen, you're not going to do any of the other. You're not Laurel. doing Copser and Wilson or Allred and Salerno or Bladdy Bladdy. Evan, we don't have unlimited time here. Ross is <laughs> waiting is to the take internet. the controller out. All of the we have is There's unlimited some county time. commissioner runoffs. We can all right. get to. Right. <laughs> Evan, if you'd like to make a couple more predictions, I don't want to make any more. No, I didn't even want to make these. I'm regretting. Follow Evan Smith. I'm regretting my Fletcher on Twitter. Could you spend the rest of the afternoon figuring out your Laurel versus? This is Yanni decision, and then we'll talk. All right. That's all the time we have. If you like listening to the Tribcast every week, we've got something brand new for you, an audio <laughs> news brief that shows up every morning on your Amazon Alexa smart speaker or podcast player. Learn more at trib.it slash thebriefpodcast. Thanks to Shiny Ribs for our music and to the Texas Association of Realtors, TASBO, and the Texas Lyceum, our sponsors this week. On behalf of... Chief Executive Officer Evan Smith. Damn right. Ross, Patrick, Controller Hager, and our producers, uh, Michael Ray, Bobby Blanchard. This is Emily. Thanks for listening. Texas talking. Texas talking. Texas talking. Texas talking. B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P. Okay.